0: Know that at Grace Community uh, we're, we love gathering together, but we also want to make sure that we're gathering together wisely. And so, as part of that process, we've put some um, we've put some safety measures in place. Um, you guys, those of you who are in the room today, know that the chairs look a little different, but the chairs will continue to look a little different and sp- and, sp- and and spread out. We're going to have a, a different uh, a different feel in the room, and that's kind of necessary given the times that we're in. Uh, But we want to be good neighbors, and we want to be good friends, and part of the way that we do that is by creating space for people who might be susceptible um, to sickness or to illness. And so, uh, that's what we're doing. That's our intention, to spend uh, intentional time uh, to make that happen. Now, uh, the most important thing that we need to keep in in our minds is that... uh, we want to be. We want to be careful. We want to look out for one another. And what that means is that we, we won't be encouraging people to shake hands. Uh, we won't be encouraging people to um, uh, to hug or even kiss on the mouth. Uh, we don't do that. That would be weird. <laughs> Somebody's watching us on live stream now. They're really concerned. Um, Uh, or kiss on the cheek, right? We are encouraging people to stay socially distant so that we can be safe and so that we can be wise in our gathering together as a church. That's the goal. That's the purpose. That's what we want to accomplish. And so next Sunday, we're going to open the doors. we're so excited uh, to start that process. We just want to say for those families and those individuals, um, we know that the decision to come to church is not an easy one. It's not cut and dry. It's not black and white. There's a lot of information floating around out there, and there's a lot of different ways that you uh, can decide whether you want to come to church or not. And so uh, we just want you to know that Grace Community Church is a judgment-free zone. Uh, we really are. We want to create a safe space where every feel, where everyone feels warmly welcomed and received. And so, we don't want to judge anybody for whatever decision they make. And we, when we won't, but we do know that we that there is this deep longing in the hearts of the people of God to gather together. And so, we wanted to open up the doors for that very purpose. Okay, all right. So today we are continuing our series on the Book of Psalms, and today I want to talk to you on the. On the topic of the Psalms and our imagination, the Psalms and our imagination. Uh, now, when I say the word imagination, the thing that might come to your mind uh, is probably a little kid in their backyard kicking around, right, pretending to play uh, pirates or whatever it is. Maybe you're thinking of Mister Rogers and the Land of Make Believe. Or, or maybe if you are grown up in the room and you think of the imagination, you're thinking of like Renaissance fairs where you go and eat turkey legs and pretend to be, live in the 1450s. Uh, that's one way of defining this word imagination, but it's not the way we're using it today. Uh, it's not, when I say the word imagination today, I don't mean pretending, right, in your mind. But, but when I say imagination, what I mean is slightly different than what we commonly think. By imagination, this morning, I mean something like our deepest heart's desire. Does that make sense? Something like our deepest heart's desire. Our imagination is kind of like this emotional place that we have that is comprised of our innermost longings and our deepest wishes. The great church father, uh, Augustine, called it our loves what we love, and maybe that is a better way of putting it, but the word imagination uh, has with it, I like that word, because it has with it this sense that within each of us is this swirling uh, kind of cauldron of thoughts, emotions, desires, feelings, needs, and sometimes those inner desires, those things that we want, those things that we love, are in conflict, aren't they? They pull us in different directions, actually. There is this push and pull within each of our hearts, right? And I think we all know what that is. Sometimes we do stuff that we wish we hadn't done, right? Isn't that strange? You can do something, and then you go, my goodness, I wish I hadn't done that. Sometimes we choose not to do something that we really want to do, right? Why is that? Why is there that push and pull in our hearts? Sometimes we start to do something that we know we should do, but then we stop halfway through, right? Other times, we pretend that we don't want to do something when deep down inside of us we really want to do that thing, right? This is the way the Apostle Paul puts that in Romans 7, beginning in verse 15. He says it this way, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do, that sums it up, right? That's about the way how we feel inside from time to time. And the question I have is, is what is going on here, right? What, what is going on in this passage when Paul is saying, I do, and I don't want to do, and I'm confused, and I'm, I'm pulled in all of these different directions? Why does it feel like sometimes there's a war inside of us? Why, why do we feel that way? Why does it so often feel like there is this disagreement within me between what I know I should do and what I want to do? I want—I uh, I want to use a little example uh, to help us understand this this morning. Uh, have any of you ever watched a really good television show? Or I'm sorry, not television show. You've all watched a good TV show. Have any of you ever watched a really good commercial? Right? Raise your hand. You can raise your hand if you've watched a good commercial. Maybe that commercial was for dish soap or body wash or candy or some other thing, right? And, and the, the thing that's being advertised really doesn't matter. But, but the reason the commercial is powerful and possibly even makes you want to go out and buy that thing is not because they gave you a set of facts about that product, is it? They didn't say, this dish soap really cleans your dish as well. You should buy it. And then you went, hmm. I think I'm gonna go buy it. That's not the way the advertising works, isn't it? It's because they, they told you a story, right? And that story tugged on your imagination or on, on your emotions, on your heart. and made you want, it made you desire actually the thing that they were selling, right? This is how commercials work. Actually, modern marketing is better at this than almost any other uh, avenue in life. You know, when, they tell you, when, they, when we watch commercials like that, the people who create that commercial, they want, actually want to bypass our thinking minds, right? They don't want to give you facts, they want to bypass the mind. And they want to go straight to the heart or to the imagination, don't they? And, and they want to do that so that when you see that product on, on the television screen about how to get longer, fuller eyelashes, and, uh, and you see the beautiful lady on TV who has the longer, fuller eyelashes. You want to go buy that product so you can look like her. Right? Not me. I don't need eyeliner, personally. And this is how commercials work, right? They they constantly do this. Or you want to buy that special kind of dish soap that is not ordinary dish soap. This dish soap is a miracle for your dishes, Right? And it's going to revolutionize your life. And then when someone comes over to your house and they open your cupboard and they see how clean your dishes are, they will go, you have it all together, right? This is, this is what the commercial is attempting to communicate to us. And uh, <laughs> and they, in some sense, these, these commercials are meant to drive us to this idea that if, if you pick up their product, your life is going to be better, Right? in some way, shape, or form, your life is going to be better. And so, I really have just one question for you today. What is forming your imagination? What's forming your imagination? What's forming your desires? What stories are you hearing? What disciplines are you living out that shape not your intellect, not your mind, but your imagination, Those, the deep longings, the desires of your heart. And this turns out to be really, really important, actually. Uh, James K.A. Smith is a philosopher, and he wrote a wonderful book called, called You Are What You Love, and I would encourage it. I'd recommend you to go pick it up if you want to read more about this. But he's fond of saying that in order to follow Jesus, it is not enough that we, can, uh, that, we be, uh, we, that we be convinced intellectually in our minds. Rather, he says, we must be captured imaginatively. Imaginatively. Jesus' vision for a life lived in the kingdom of God must be something that we not only believe with our minds, it must be something that wells up within us. It must be a deep desire or longing that we experience. You know, uh, And it is the purpose of the Scripture specifically and of this walk of the Christian faith to have our imagination or our desires transformed, to love the right things rather than the wrong things. You know, our vision of what is good and right must come in alignment with God's plan and His purpose. This is what it means. I think this is what the Bible talks about when it talks about the renewing of our minds. This is not about the renewing of our minds is not about knowing facts, right? Uh, it's not about, but it, rather it is about the transformation of our innermost thoughts, our desires, our imaginations. And the question then becomes, how do we do that, right? how do How do we, how do I change the thing inside of me that naturally wants things, right? Because you and I are the same, right? I know all the time I want things I should not want. So how do I change that part of me? How do I allow God into that crevice of my life to transform not just what I think, but what I actually want, what I love, what I desire? How, do I, how does God come in and transform my imagination? It's an interesting question, right? It's not one we talk about all that much. This is where, I think, the Psalms come into play. We're in a series on the book of Psalms, and so I'm talking about it. I think the Psalms actually fulfill a vital role in this, actually. The Psalms are a powerful tool. We said this last week, that the Psalms are a powerful tool for our self-understanding, right? For us to understand ourselves and so that we can turn the lens of our lives on ourselves, so we can see what's happening inside, and then we can turn that to prayer and praise towards God. Right? This is what we talked about last week a little bit. But the Psalms also form this other—they uh, also do this other thing. And I think part of the reason they exist is to help transform our imagination, our desires. Uh, An example of this can be found in our teaching text for today, in Psalm uh, 63. It begins like this in verse 1. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary, and behold your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Now, if you're like me, the question that immediately comes to the front of your mind uh, when I pray or read a psalm like this is, do I? Do I earnestly seek even thirst for God? Is that the natural thing that flows out of me when I read this? Am I like the psalmist in this regard? Does my whole body long for God? Do I praise Him because I truly believe that His love is better than anything else in my life? Right? Right? I think this psalm is meant to ask, have us ask that question. Is that me? And a lot of the time when I read this, this the answer to that question, if we're being honest, right, is no. No. I, I don't feel like that all the time. That's not always my deepest desire. Sometimes I feel... Uh, sometimes I feel it, sometimes I feel that way even, maybe during a particularly moving worship set or when I'm on a retreat somewhere. And, but if you ask the average follower of Jesus if they think the first few verses of that, of that psalm are true, if they're a true statement, most, most followers of Jesus would say, yes, that's a true statement. But they don't always feel it, right? I don't always feel it, in fact. Most mornings I wake up and I don't long for God. I long for some eggs and a very large cup of coffee. Right? This this is what this is the, what normal life is like. You know, sitting with Jesus is not always the thing that's on the top uh, at the top of our priority list, is it? Is anyone else in terms of your desires, what you want to do? And we have to ask ourselves when we read a passage like this: Why is that? Why is that? Because. Again, like I said, most of us in this room, and most of us who claim to be followers of Jesus, would say that that the beginning of that psalm is true. That that is the most important thing. But yet, my desires don't line up with it. You know, the truth of the matter is, and I think this is a, is a real statement, is that the reason that there is that discontinuity between my mind and my desires or my imagination is because our imaginations, our desires, have not been transformed. The old word is sanctified. They have not been sanctified. We have not been fully transformed on the inside. Our minds might assent to a truth, but deep in our hearts, at that, the, the recesses of our being, the place where we long for things, the place where we want things, hasn't been as transformed as maybe it should have been. And I think the reason for this is that we live in a world and in a culture that is constantly telling us a different story than the one we just read in that song. We are being communicated to all of the time about a different story. Something, of, something else is always vying for our attention, isn't it? So there are other stories, other narratives, other truths that are always vying for our hearts, for our affections and it is natural it is only human actually that some of those things seep into us and we begin to believe those stories rather than rather than the story that's being told in this particular psalm that my highest good my highest goal is found in my connection to god right and that a natural state of being for a human a created being is the thirst to long for god right it's natural then, living in the world that we live in, to see to, to read this psalm and feel the, the, dis, the, just the disjointed nature that we, that we see here. Because we are swimming in a world of, of counter-stories, of counter-narratives. And I wanted to give you a quick sample of some of the stories that we are being formed by currently in, in our culture right now. I think we have a couple of them on the screen. But uh, one example of a story that we're all being formed by, just like we're formed by those commercials that 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 uh, creates that forms our imagination, is the story of the American dream. Right? What's the story of the American dream? It's that we we can't help but hear that one, can we? Uh, We can't help but hear the American dream, which says it is uh, it is my purpose in life to have basically whatever I want. Right? This is the story of the American dream. There, in our culture, there is the story of production that we're all being told constantly. And that story says, basically, that you are only as, va- as valuable as what you can produce, right? You are only as valuable as how much you could get done in a day, right? You are only as valuable as your, your work has borne fruit. And the fruit that we're talking about is not biblical fruit, but it's rather usually dollars, right? There's the story of individualism, and this story is rampant, and it's so deep inside of us that most of us don't even realize it. But the story of individualism tells us that, that the most important thing in the world for you and for me is being true to myself, being true to what I think, and that outside constraint should be completely cast off in this endless search for my own individual truth, right? This is the story of individualism, and we're swimming in it in our culture. There's the story of consumerism that we're all living, right? You you heard this over the last two months. If you don't go out and buy stuff, everything's going to fall apart, right? It's because we live in the midst of a, of a consumeristic story. Now, I'm not saying a free market economy is bad. I'm just saying there is, there is a narrative out there that wants to reduce your, the entirety of your being to a consumer, right? You are not a consumer, you are a human being. But the story of consumption tells us over and over and over again in all of those commercials we watch that you need to buy stuff in order to be happy, don't they? And we know this because we go out and buy stuff in order to be happy, don't we? We all do it. Uh, These stories are just in the air. They're in the ether. We can't escape them, can we? And they are always forming our affections. They're always forming our desires. They're always forming our imagination. And we need a counter story, don't we? We need a counter truth to help to form our, um, our affections or our imagination in, in a different direction. And this is where the Psalms come in, because the Psalms are like, when you read them daily, are like this constant drumbeat of the story of God being told to us about what really and truly matters in this world. That not that you are a consumer, but that you were a human being created by God, and that you and that my rights and your rights are endowed on on us from Him, and that our highest purpose is not found in seeking our own goals or our own ends, but is rather found in Him. You see, this is a story that you won't hear on a daily basis. This story is not on the television. This this story is on no news program. I don't care which news show you watch. This story is only found within the rhythms of the scriptures and found in the teachings of Jesus as he teaches on the kingdom of God. But the Psalms serve this important role in our lives as we read them because it reorients us onto God's agenda, into God's story, in a way that almost no other book in the Bible does. You know, in verse 6 of our teaching text for today. This is what the psalmist says. He says, on my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. We learn to relate to the truth of who God is uh, through our imaginations, through our inner person, right? And as we dwell, as we meditate, as we read passages like that, our, it is able to kind of bypass our thinking minds and go straight to our heart. And that sounds weird, like bypass your thinking mind and go straight to your heart, but this is what forms our desire, doesn't it? The, the truth of the matter is that right belief begins with worship, Right belief doesn't begin with thinking. Right belief begins with proper worship. We don't, we don't believe our way into uh, changing our, our, uh, our imagination. Rather, we worship our way, into the transformation of our imagination. This is why things like um, things like, uh, like celebrity culture and YouTube stars, and all of that can be, can be so devastating in our time, is because we idolize people. We, in some sense, we worship them, right? And then we begin to desire the life that they have. Does that make sense? And as, And as we look at the thing and we idealize their life and we tell that story over and over and over again, we want to be that and we want to acquire that. And anything less than that is going to make me feel bad about myself. What we're doing there, you know, it's not necessarily bad to, you know, want to know what Brad Pitt's up to this week, right? There's nothing inherently sinful in that, which I check up on often, guys. Don't worry about it. Uh, there's nothing inherently there's nothing inherently wrong in that, but there there is this there is this way that as we as we lean into those types of things, the story that is being communicated to us through that those realities transforms our desires, it transforms our emotions, and then our highest goal becomes what. I want to be famous because that for me tends to is apparently in 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 the culture in which we live is the most important thing in the world we worship our way into our into wanting don't we in some sense we we worship our way into uh, desiring and the truth of the matter is you will want whatever you worship the most it's just true You will want whatever you worship the most. If all you do with all of your spare time is look at bass boats, right? You bow at the altar of the bass boat. That's a funny, yeah, the bass boat. You bow at the altar of the bass boat every weekend, right? You will want the bass boat. You will not want God. Right? It's just true. It's just true. What you worship becomes what you want. And if you worship God, you will want God. And if you worship the bass boat, you will want the bass boat more than you want God. And the reality, and it applies to literally everything, doesn't it? It, it, you want an example? When I was, in, when I was in, later in high school, all I wanted to do was go to concerts. I just wanted to go to concerts and get a speaker as close to my ear as possible and just blow out my eardrums. This is all I wanted to do, right? I just wanted to get real sweaty in a group of like 318 to 21 year olds and not have hearing afterwards. Um, and I began to just like idolize this, uh, this activity. I wanted to do it every week. It's all I wanted to do, right? And there's nothing bad about an 18- or 20-year-old wanting to go to a concert and listen to some music. It's a perfectly fine thing. But over time, that began to form my inner being, right? It began to form me in some sense. And it began to form my affections in such a way as that I didn't necessarily want... I began to want things... I began to daydream about things that I, I shouldn't necessarily have spent all my time doing. It wasn't necessarily bad. It's just that that's what I wanted to do. And it began to form my affections, because what I worship, what I, what, where my attention is, where, is what I want. And if we worship the kind of what the culture tells us we're supposed to be worshiping, if we worship beauty, right? We will want beauty, and then that'll eat us from the inside, won't it? If we want money and power and prestige, we'll, we'll worship those things, and they'll eat us from the inside. There are all kinds of things that the stories that are in our culture tell us we should want, and then we want them, and when we get them, what happens? Didn't didn't pan out. It didn't feel, when I got it, like I thought it was going to feel, right? But the story of the Scripture is a counter to that, and specifically the Psalms, I think, function as a counteraction to that uh, constant drumbeat of stories in our culture Because the Psalms invite us to live the story of God in some real and true way. The story of the Psalms, uh, Psalm 63 that we read this morning, is just that type of Psalm. It's It's meant to remind us of where our source and our purpose should lie in this life. And how we can be formed in our heart's desire. You see, if you worship God through the lens of Psalm 63, day in and day out, the first time you do it, you might not want what the psalmist wants in that passage. You might not feel how the psalmist feels, and that's okay. None of us do all the time. But as we allow the story and the rhythms of God's kingdom to be communicated to us through the, through the prayer, through the singing, through the, uh, through the reading of the psalms, what happens is that over time our affections begin to be formed. Our imagination begins to be transformed into the, into the pattern, into the likeness of God's kingdom. And then, and then we actually pick up the passage one day and when we read verses one and say, and that says, you God are my God, earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there's no water. We read it and we go, I do feel that way. Something, of, uh, something about me on the inside has been transformed in such a way as that I actually want the thing the psalmist wants. And that is a beautiful place to be. But it only happens over time as we uh, enfold the Psalms into our regular life, as we enfold the Scriptures into our regular life, as we enfold worship into our regular life, as we enfold the gathering together of the people of God in prayer into our regular lives. We begin to become a people whose imaginations are transformed by the reality of God's Word and by the truth of the story that is being told within it. This is the only way to change what I want and it is a process. Now, some of us might be here this morning, and we're going, Nick, I want some things I shouldn't want, and they might be harmless, or they might be less than harmless, right? I really want that bass boat. You said bass boat, and it sent alarm bells off in my head, right? I, I want to be free of constraints, or uh, I want, I don't want the life, sometimes I don't want the life I'm living. I want a different life, And I want to run away from all of these things that I'm experiencing right now. That's a true thing, and you shouldn't deny the fact that you're feeling that way, that your desires are pointed in that direction. But here's the encouragement today. You can change your desires. God longs to transform your imagination. He longs to fulfill you in such a way as that he becomes the thing that you want the most. And then as as you want him more than anything else, you know what? those who seek, receive. They receive the God that they long for, because this, this is the promise of Scripture. and it, 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 But it is only over time that we do this, and it is only through the process of engagement with God and with the Scriptures, and specifically, I would argue, with the Psalms on a daily basis, that, uh, that our affections are transformed. The Psalms, I think, are one of the most powerful tools I know of to help us form our imaginations in the direction of the kingdom of God. You know, uh, one of the things that's always startling to me is how uh, loving Jesus is to everyone He meets and how unloving I am to every person I meet in so many ways, right? Like… It's, it's crazy to me that he naturally loved all of these people with such genuine affection. Ash, and Here, let's take it a step down from Jesus. Ashley and I watched the Mr. Rogers biopic this weekend and cried the whole way through it. Uh, and I, Ashley woke up and she said, I just woke up thinking, I got to be a better person, right? And I was like, yeah, me too. This is exactly how I felt. Uh, the reality is, is that uh, when, you, when you see Jesus, right, loving people unconditionally, or when you see Mr. Rogers loving people unconditionally in the form of Tom Hanks, the, uh, you go, how do I get to that place? How do I get to that place? It doesn't happen automatically. People aren't born that way. They really aren't. Maybe a little bit more here and there, maybe a little tweak of the knobs, but in general, people aren't born that way. They live their way into that way of feeling. They live their way into that way of desiring. They live their way into that way of loving. And we live our way into the, into the kingdom of God, into forming our desires in such a way as that we want what God wants. And it's a beautiful challenge. It's a beautiful encouragement to us. And I think the only way we do it is through the Psalms. Not the only way, but one of the primary ways we do it is through the reading of the Psalms. And so, if, if you take away one point this morning as we conclude, if you take away one thing, it would just be this. Uh, read the Psalms. Read them on a daily basis. They have this way of forming in us this, uh, this desire for those things which are good. They have a way of re, uh, redirecting us in such a way is to help us to form our desires. They bypass the mind a little bit because they're poetry, and poetry has this way of bypassing our intellect in such a way as that it forms our desires and makes us want the right things. And if I could could want anything for you this morning, what I want for you is that you would want the right things. Because if you want the right things, I'm not even all that concerned about what you think, right? If deep in your heart, when you lay your head on your pillow, the thing you want is the right thing, right? It's beautiful. Let's pray together today as we go that, w- that God would help us all to want the right things, right? Father, uh, we love you. And we thank you that you brought us together this morning. We pray that uh, as we go about our week this week, you would help us to look inside our hearts in such a way as we would actually be able to determine the, the answer to the question, what do I want? And then from that place, we could begin the process of forming our desires, our imagination in the direction of the kingdom of God. Jesus, we want to be people who want the right things. We want to be people who deeply desire you. And so, this week, would you give us the strength uh, and uh, remind us of the fact that that only happens as we worship rightly, as we listen to the story of Scripture, and as we allow ourselves to be transformed by the truth of your word. And so, Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you've gathered us in this place today, and we pray it all in your name. Amen and amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Go today in the grace and in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ.